You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Ross Strader. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Let me thank you for being here. Wish you a happy July 4th. Thankful that you are here this weekend. You could be doing a lot of stuff today, and you've chosen to worship with us, and I'm so grateful for that. So thank you for being here. Also, you're the first people to sit in our new chairs, and that's nothing to sneeze at. That's important. However, where you're sitting now is your seat for all of eternity at Bethel. I'm sorry. So you've you've picked your spot. Um, We did have a few guys here yesterday. Uh, who helped put out all these chairs, uh, and we had way more chairs than people. And so if you were one of those guys who came and helped, thank you for doing that. Uh, that was a lot of hard work, and uh, appreciate appreciate y'all doing that. Um, turn in your Bible to Psalm 25. Go ahead and get in Psalm 25. Um, my wife, Kristen, and I have two children. Well, my son, Jonah, who's 15. Uh, my daughter, Finley, she's 11. And when Jonah was very, very small, he, he was not a very good sleeper. He would go to bed okay. This is probably when he was two or three years old. He would go to bed okay, but he would get up really, really early in the morning, you know, just way too early. And at the time, I was leading worship, but I was leading worship part-time at a church, which meant on the weekends I would lead worship, but Monday through Friday, I had like a real full-time job. I worked uh, for the Angelina County Clerk's Office. I worked in the courthouse in Lufkin, Texas, and it was like a real job, not a church job. It was a real job. Uh, From 8 to 5, I wore khaki pants and everything. I mean, it was a real job. And because of that, because Jonah would get up so early in the morning and usually late at night after he went to bed, I would stay up and work on stuff for church on the weekends. That meant in the mornings when he got up really early, most of the time, Kristen would get up. She was a stay-at-home mom. We were very privileged to be able to do that. She would get up with Jonah and sort of it was her her sort of mission to kind of keep him uh, pacified and, and calm and take care of him. But the, but the problem was he would get up so, so early that it was almost, I mean, you almost were mad at him every morning, okay? And so Kristen and I figured out this thing that we could do to get like another 45 minutes of sleep, about 45 minutes to an hour. So what you do, you'd go in, you'd get Jonah out of the, out of the bed, you'd go in the kitchen, you'd get him like a sippy cup or whatever, and then you could lay on the couch, and you'd, you'd have to do it this way, I don't know why, but you'd have to lay on like on your side, and you could pick Jonah up and just kind of set him like up on your hip like a booster seat. And he would be up kind of high and he would drink his milk. And you could get about an hour uh, of extra sleep or a slow doze if you just turned on the TV. Now, when I told Kristen I was going to tell this story, she's like, ah, don't tell people that story. They're going to think, ah, they're going to see what a bad mom I am. And I let my little kid watch TV. And I said, honey, don't worry. I know these people. They're as bad at parenting as we are. You guys are just as bad. You got your own thing, okay? So that was our deal. And here's kind of how the schedule worked. So we didn't have like a whole lot of channels. We just had like a little little, tiny TV. And the only kid thing that was on would be on PBS, Channel 8. And at 6, Jonah would watch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And then at 6.30, he would watch Sesame Street. And we love Mr. Rogers, and we love Sesame Street. Okay, we loved it. Watched it every morning. Occasionally, he'd get up a little too early. We'd have to watch Teletubbies. We did not like Teletubbies, but but we would do it if it would give us a little more sleep. But mostly, it's Mr. Rogers and Sesame Street. 
I haven't watched Sesame Street in a long time, but one thing they used to be kind of famous for is they had all of these songs that had just been famous for 10, 15, 20 years. And so Sesame Street on a regular basis would like reboot the songs. They would like do a different animation or they would do like a little music video or maybe it would be a special guest would sing it. And, and there were these songs that would just recur. They would kind of come back for seasons. And at the, this time when Jonah was always awake, so early in the morning, there was one song that it felt like they played every day. Uh, it, it was, I mean, it was on the TV, I feel like, all the time. Listen to the song from Sesame Street. All right, does anybody remember that song at all? Yeah, okay. Sorry, I know it's weird, but I, I have a point, all right? So so this song played all the time, and so there was one day I came home from work, you know, came straight from the courthouse, got home, you know, it's 5.15, 5.20. Kristen is just so visibly upset. She's like, we're going to have to get some parenting books or something. Like, I've got to invest in the life of my child. I I, I cannot do this. I've got to get get on the stick here. I, the, and I'm, I'm thinking, what's going on? She's like, well... It happened early this morning. I was laying there. Jonah had watched the show, and he kept wanting to get up. He kept wanting to go do stuff. And she's like, I'm really sorry, Todd, but I was so sleepy. And the shows were already off, and he was ready to go and do stuff. And I just was so, so, so hard to wake up. And she said, he's you know, kind of tapping on me, and then he'd go off and do something. And she said, finally, I feel like this little face, you know, this little two-year-old face next to mine. And she hears Jonah go, somebody come and play. And then he kind of holds Somebody come and play today. And it broke Kristen's heart. Of course, she's like, yeah, I'll play with you, honey. Yeah, let's go play. But that's a weird song, right? So here's what's strange about that song. You may have noticed it as you're listening to it. But the song is talking about good stuff, right? So I want to play. I want to sing. I want to have adventure. And yet, super creepy and sad, right? Now, some of that's the animation, Right, But some of it is even in the music. It goes from this real joyous thing to this real dark thing. 
And Susie Kabluzi's singing real loud, and then she's singing real soft. And yet, when, when you watch that, or when Jonah watched that when he was little, the obvious tone until really the very end is that this is a sad song. It's talking about good things, but it's a sad song. So, why show you Susie Kabluzi this morning? That's, that's, I have a reason, and it's found in Psalm 25, okay? So let's go to Psalm 25 this morning. When Ross told me that we were going to be preaching from Psalms for the next couple of weeks, um, as a worship leader, uh, you tend to have a real interesting relationship with Psalms, and I'll tell you why. Because when you first start leading worship, as a young person like I did, someone will tell you, a lot of people will tell you, okay, you need to go to the Psalms. So the Psalms are the handbook of praise. They're the worship guidebook. They're the model. They're the manual. And that's true, they are. But when you're a young worship leader, if you start reading the Psalms and singing the Psalms and using the Psalms in church, what you quickly find is there's some kind of dark, sad Psalms. We don't think of them this way. We think of them as sort of this very joyous, worshipful thing. But when Ross told me, he's like, hey, I want you to preach out of Psalms, and we're going to do Psalms for the next few weeks, I immediately thought, oh, okay, well, which sort of idea of Psalms are we going to talk about? And so I got my Bible out and I thought, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start in Psalm 1 and I'm just going to read the Psalms and I'm going to see how far I get into Psalms before it kind of gets the the dark, the sort of sad, the woe is me. You know, maybe it's Psalm 51, maybe it's up in the hundreds. And so I, I get in the, the Bible a couple weeks ago and I start reading at Psalm 1 and you want to know how far I get? Psalm 3. If you get to Psalm 3, this is what it says. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. If you're reading the English Standard Version, it's 318 words. From Psalm 1, from the beginning of Psalm 1, you only go 318 words before, bam, you've got this scripture saying, many are rising against me. Many are coming against me. And I thought, oh, that's so interesting. I didn't realize that we sort of got that, that open and that honest that quick. And so then I started going through all the Psalms. And I started looking specifically for these sort of statements. I wasn't looking for what's known as the laments. I wasn't looking for, for where the psalmist is talking about God's enemies. But the, the personal distress of the soul. And just, just in a couple of days, I found 42 Psalms that at some point in them say this kind of thing. It's roughly 30% of all the Psalms talk about struggle, talk about, about woe, talk about the storm, talk about the trial. And that's interesting to me, but it's also so comforting. We should find solace in the fact that our worship book is so comfortable with this issue of suffering. We don't title sermons around here a lot. We don't make a big deal about it, but I'm doing it today because I want you to understand very clearly when you leave today, I I don't want there to be any mistake about what we're talking about. Today from Psalm 25, what we're calling the sermon and what we're talking about is how to sing when you're sad. How to sing when you're sad. And I don't just mean singing like we do in here. How do you engage as a godly person? How do you live a life of worship and bringing glory to God? How do you bring Him glory and praise when you're sad? How do you do it? In the midst of struggle, how do you bring honor to God? Psalm 25 is going to teach us how to do that. Verse 1 through 7. 
To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. So if you're taking notes today, I'm going to give you some stuff I'd love for you to write down. Because I think Psalm 25 has some crystal clear truth on how to sing when you're sad. Let's look at verse 1 and 2. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. It doesn't take hardly any time before the writer of Psalm 25 gets totally honest. So it opens like you think a psalm would open. God, I look to you. God, I trust you. I lift my eyes to you. And then, bam, God, don't let my enemies exult over me. There's a truth here that I, want, I don't want us to miss, that the psalmist is so clearly honest about this and says it so close to the front of the psalm. There is no use in hiding when you're struggling. There's, there, there's no, it doesn't do you any good to hide your struggle. It doesn't help you at all to pretend the struggle isn't there. When you're sad, when you're hurting, when you're in doubt, the last thing you want to do is hide it because you can't hide it before God. He knows what you're feeling. If you're a Christian, either right now or someday soon, you're going to experience hardship. Either a person or a bunch of people or a circumstance or a problem or a sickness or a marriage or someone at work or someone in your family. Eventually, someone or something is going to seek to exalt itself over you. Eventually, the enemy, our enemy, is going to try to exalt things over you so that you'll get your eyes off the Father. It's not a, it's not a joke. Psalm 25 says, I look to you. I'm, I'm looking to you, God, because I've got these enemies that want me to be staring at them. Right? They want to exalt themselves over me. So if you're taking notes, here's the first thing that I believe Psalm 25 is telling us. If you want to know how to sing when you're sad, be honest about your struggle. Be honest about your struggle. When you come to worship, when you come to church, or when you get up in the morning and you're on your way to work, or you're at supper with the family, or, or you're out doing you know chores or, or running errands, and you're not feeling it, you're not feeling worshipful, you're not feeling joyous because you are beset by enemies, if you don't know how to sing when you're sad, Psalm 25 says just admit it. Just embrace it. Don't pretend. Talk about it. Acknowledge it. And then verse 2 says, let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. This blatantly honest prayer from Psalm 25, I want you to imagine... Just imagine that you come to church this morning and you're sitting next to a close friend and maybe you're talking and the course of conversation, they, they, they say, how are, how are you really doing? I want you to imagine 
looking at them and saying, hey, I feel like I'm drowning, if you really want to know. If you really want to know how I'm doing, I feel like, I feel like the enemy has got me on the ropes. That, that scares us a little bit because we're not used to that. We, we kind of like to hide that thing. You've had those moments. I've had those moments. There are probably times in your life where you're sitting here and you're furious because you're in the midst of a tough spot. Or you're, you're doubting or you're hurting or you're angry. You don't know why God's doing what he's doing. And there are times where you may think, if I sing one word, if I lift my hands, if I pray, if I tell anybody what's really going on, I'm just going to lose it. I'm just going to be crying and blubbering all over the place, and I'm just going to make a spectacle of myself of how upset I am. Psalm 25 says, good, good. Pray a little, cry a little. Tell someone you need a hug. Tell them what's going on. Psalm 25 says you don't do any good by hiding the fact that you are beset by enemies. You go to the Father as a person who is completely dependent on Him when you are honest about your struggle. You be honest about your struggle. Look at verse 3. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. See, we get this thing in our head that somehow you're not a good Christian or you're not close to God if you're in the midst of suffering, right? If you're in the midst of struggle. Like if you're feeling all these feelings and it's hard, it's very easy to assume, well, I must just not be close to God. Even though in your head you know that's not right, you can feel that way. Man, I'm living right. I guess I'm not as close to God as I thought because this is getting really, really hard. Here's the problem. You've got an entire book, the Bible, with giants of the faith who had struggled their entire lives. Just to name a few, Abraham, Sarah, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Noah, Gideon, Rahab, Esther, Ruth, John the Baptist, Paul. The list goes on and on and on and on. You've got a book at your house or in your lap or in your phone right now that is filled with stories that God said, they're mine, they're close to me, they're following me, and yet their lives were unbelievably difficult. We think in our heads that something must be wrong. If I'm struggling, something must be wrong. Verse 3, the Word says, But indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. The psalmist is reminding himself and you and me that those who wait on the Lord will not be put to shame. If verse 1 and 2 told us to be honest about our struggle, this is what verse 3 through 5 is telling us. Be honest about your standing. Be honest about your standing. Know your place. Know your standing. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Bible teaches you over and over that God is a good father and he loves and leads his children. You may be struggling right now. Like as I'm talking, you may be even feeling awkward like, oh my gosh, he, I am so hurting right now and everybody must see it on my face. They can't, but I'm telling you something. If that's you, I want to tell you that right now, if you're a believer in Jesus, your standing is completely held by the Father. You are held in His hands. You, 
Yes, be honest about your struggle, but be honest about your standing to know that you are His. Look at the next verse. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Not only are you held by the Father, but you are also guided by the Father. Psalm Psalm 25 says you go to the Father in these situations and you say, teach me. Show me your ways. Make your ways known to me. God wants to bring himself glory in all things. We know this, but let me just read a few verses for you. Isaiah 43, 7. Everyone is called by name, uh, who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Verse 20 and 21. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Psalm 106, verse 7 and 8. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea, yet... He saved them for his name's sake that he might make known his mighty power. Psalm 25 isn't about just beat up the bad guys. Yes, it does say that those who are evil and who are treacherous will come to justice. But that's not all Psalm 25 is saying. Because Psalm 25 is also talking about lifting your eyes and looking through your tears and asking God to show you how to follow him through this. Teach me your ways. Show me the path. Yes, be honest about your struggle, but also be honest about your standing. That God has a plan here. He has a way that I want to follow. Be honest about your standing. Your standing in Him does more than just protect you. Your relationship with Him through the work of Jesus does more than just protect you. It gives you access to the wisdom of the universe. That there is a father with perfect knowledge that you could go to right now and say, God, teach me, show me, show me your ways. Be honest about your struggle, but also be honest about your standing. Verse 6, remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness Oh, Lord, this is one of those verses where the bad news is actually the good news. After all of this honesty about suffering and all this honesty about our standing with God, we come to the issue of sin. The writer's asking God to remember mercy and love. He even speaks to how steadfast it is. He says they are, they are of old. Your ways are of old. They've been around a really long time. And verse 7, he's just as honest as he can be. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. He's admitting his sin. He's admitting his transgression. He's asking God to work from something else. God, don't, don't remember my sin. Don't remember my transgression. God, remember your love and your goodness. If you want to honor God in the middle of a storm, if you want to know how to sing when you're sad, Be honest about the solution. You want to be honest about the solution. Listen, you are not the solution. 
I am not the solution. I hate to tell you this, but you're too bad of a sinner to be the solution. I'm too bad of a sinner to be the solution. The solution is never going to be me. It's never going to be me. Psalm 25 is reminding us of this. I am not good enough or powerful enough or smart enough to figure out how to navigate tragedy. I can't do it. I get too distracted by stuff. But Psalm 25 says, God, let's work from your love. Remember your steadfastness. Remember me for the sake of your goodness. It's only God's power and love and goodness that will be your solution in the midst of an absolute disaster. He's the only way out. If you've ever gone on a mission trip or know folks who've gone on a mission trip, especially if you've gone to a third world country, I mean, where there's very little. If you've ever, if you ever spent time doing ministry in a place that's poverty stricken, here's the thing that you'll say when you get back or you're, you'll hear people say when they get back. They'll come back and they'll say this, man, these people, just the poverty is just so overwhelming. I mean, these people have nothing. They have nothing. I mean, these people get up in the morning. They don't even know if they're going to eat that day. They, they don't even know. They're not even thinking about tomorrow. They, they don't even know if they're going to survive the next 10 hours, the people say. And then in the same conversation, they'll say, and yet we go to church and these people are just worshiping with more zeal and more passion and, 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 and more joy and more prayer. And they worship way longer than we do. I mean, they are worshiping so much harder than we do in the West. And Psalm 25 is telling you, of course they do. That when you are at a desperate place, that's good for you. It's good for me. Because you can sit here today with a lot of your problems and you can go, you know what, that's okay. That's okay. I got a little money saved up. I can kind of handle that problem. You're like, you know what, that's okay. Uh, my, my aunt's a counselor. I, I know how to do this. She can, she can tell me how to get through this. Like you can sit there in the middle of your problems and not be desperate at all. Just like, I can get it. I can figure it out. But if you've been a Christian very long, you know that that doesn't work because some of you today are in the midst of something you can't write a check to get out of. Some of you are in the midst of struggle and you've got no, you've got no, you're, you're, em, you're empty hands. Like, can you imagine coming to church? Can you imagine walking in here and opening your Bible from a place of complete desperation? Well, I think we need a little more desperation around here. Like, God, I'm going to open your word. And if you don't move, I am sunk. Psalm 25 says you've got to be honest about the solution. The solution is never, ever, ever going to be you. There's nothing wrong with coming to God and begging him to fix the solution. There's nothing wrong with that. You can do that. That's worshipful. That's honoring that you would be so honest and so desperate that you would seek him. And sometimes he moves in a miraculous way. And sometimes he answers that begging, pleading prayer. But sometimes he doesn't answer it the way we want him to. I don't know why God doesn't just answer all my prayers the way I want him to. And some of you are in the midst of a storm right now, and you're praying, and it feels like God is not moving. I mean, it feels like the sky is brass. I mean, you just cannot get your prayer through. Let me tell you something. 
God hears you, that much I know. I can't give you an answer or make you feel better or give you a good feeling about why, what God's doing because I, I don't know. But I do know that Psalm 25, if you read it, verse 1 through 7, that in those scriptures, there's, there's never any sort of supplication. It's not even like, hey, go kill my enemies. When it comes to what's being asked in Psalm 27, look at it again. I mean, it says, let not my enemies exalt over me. He does say that. And then there's all this stuff about show me, teach me, lead me, guide me. That prayer, God will answer. If you're in the midst of a mess right now and all your prayers, they feel like they are falling on deaf ears, let me tell you something. Maybe me, maybe you, maybe we need to pray a little different. Maybe I've got to stop praying for the parachute. I've got to stop praying for the ejector seat. I've got to stop praying for the massive miracle, split the Red Sea, and get me out of this mess. Maybe I've got to pray, okay, God, I'm in it. Now show me how to walk in it. How do I do this, God? I want to bring you glory. I want to bring you praise. But I don't want to come to ruin either. And God, I don't have any idea how I can do that. Because I know if I try to do it on my own, I am going to ruin Myself, God will answer that prayer. Show me your ways. Show me how to follow you. Teach me your paths. God will absolutely answer that. If that's you today, if you are in the midst of a struggle, of a storm, of a trial, if your life is just a mess, I want to tell you to be honest about the solution, to remember and declare that God wants to walk you through it to bring glory to himself. He is your father and he loves you and he wants you to bring him glory. There's this thing that we talk about at Bethel. If you've come through the Discover Bethel class, uh, membership class, if you've done that, you've heard this. We don't talk about it much on Sundays. We probably should. I know we've talked about it maybe once or twice, but there's something we tell people in the worship portion of Discover Bethel. And I'm going to tell you now, And it's my fault for not telling you sooner because it actually can make a big difference in corporate worship. But it's not just for Sunday. But here at Bethel, we believe that worship exists. We have this little image in our head of two words. There's two words. And over here on this side is the word adoration. Okay, so let's just think about adoration for a second. That that adoration is a part of worship. And when I say adoration, I mean probably exactly what you're thinking. Joyous, celebratory, grateful, goosebumps, happy, feeling it, right? Yay, God, those moments, right? And that is absolutely a component of worship, okay? There are some times where you've been in here and there's been adoration. You've absolutely been feeling it. And you've lifted your hands, or you've clapped, or you've shouted, or you've sang, or you've danced, or you've been grateful, and you've been in a great mood, and you've showed up, and it's been amazing. That's adoration. That's absolutely an aspect of worship. But here's what we know. We don't live there, most of us. There's a lot of Sundays that you come in, and listen, I'm just going to be honest. Man, there's Sundays you're here, and people are sick, and there's not enough money in the bank, and relationships are, are not good, and your work is a mess, and maybe you've kind of really messed up with some bad choices and, and you're, you don't know how to get out of it and you don't know what to do and you are not feeling adoration at all. You're feeling kind of the opposite of adoration. You're almost feeling disgust in here because you're not feeling any of it. Well, there's another word that we use around here. 
So if adoration is on this side, this word is acknowledgement. Now you may have never thought about acknowledgement being a part of worship because it sounds like a pretty neutral word, a pretty unbiased word. Acknowledgement doesn't sound like one way or the other. It's just like an acknowledgement. But let me tell you what I mean by that. When you live in acknowledgement, when you're in in an acknowledgement phase, this is what that means. That there are times you come through those doors, and if you could find me, you would tell me, Todd, I am 0% into what we're doing here today. I'm not feeling it. I don't like it. I'm mad at God. I'm angry. But but if you choose the acknowledgement way, this is what that means. That at some point in the service or in your house or at your job, you go, God... I am not feeling this. I don't know what you're doing. In fact, if I'm real honest, God, I don't. I, I think you're kind of messing up. But I'm going to come in this place, and I'm going to say this, that, God, you're on the throne. You're still on the throne. I don't understand it. I cannot figure it out. But, God, you are not scared of what's happening to me. You are not surprised by what's happening to me. You are not afraid. You are not huddling in a corner. God, you are still in control. And if you live in between those, the adoration moments and the acknowledge moments, and I mean even own them, maybe that's liberating for you. Maybe, maybe. Let's just say, let me give you permission here. Let's say you come in here in two or three weeks and we've got our new sound system and we're just jamming. And you can tell that Todd is just feeling himself. It's just awesome, and I'm singing my guts out. I want you to know something. If you walked up to me and you were to say, Todd, sounds great, lights are great, you guys did a great job, but I'm just, in, I'm just kind of in that acknowledgement phase, that would warm my heart. What if, you, what if you took these words? What if you were okay saying, I'm going to praise God, I'm going to give Him praise, I'm going to acknowledge that He's on the throne and strong, and true, even if I don't feel it. Let me give you permission. You can come that way into this place on Sundays. You can wake up that way in your house. You can go to bed that way at the end of the day where you say, God, I don't understand what you're doing, but I'm believing that you are in charge and you are in control. I'm going to tell you something. I will set you free. Because so many times you're coming in here and I'm coming in here and I'm feeling like, man, i got to get to adoration. I got to get hyped. I got to get over to this place if I'm really going to do this thing. And I am telling you that Psalm 25 says that in the midst of struggle, in the midst of the storm, you can sing. Just a couple more things and we're done. Years and years ago. So in September, I will have been here nine years. And I had been at Bethel probably a year, maybe two. And it was summer. And for whatever reason... Kristen and I, my wife, it was a terrible summer for our marriage. I mean, we just, it was a struggle. And compared to what a lot of people go through, we were, we were great. But for us, it was tough. We just weren't communicating. We were fighting a lot. We just, it was just a tough summer. If you're married, you know, sometimes you have seasons where you just cannot get it worked out. And, and it was, it was tough. And I remember on a Saturday night, it was bad. We had been fighting and arguing and trying to figure it out. And we just couldn't, it just felt terrible. And so I got up that Sunday morning because I had to come to work. And on the way to work, i got to tell you, I'm seriously thinking, man, can I call in sick? Can I fake it? Can I, you know, can I get Ross to get somebody else? Because 
Man, I was not there. I, was n I didn't have goosebumps. I mean, I was mad. I was mad, and I was doubtful, and I was struggling, and I was sad. And so I remember pulling in and saying, God, I, I'll, I'll go do this, but I, I really don't want to because I'm in no shape to worship today. And what I found out over the next three hours was I was in perfect shape to worship that day. Because as I began to sing those songs and pray those prayers and listen to the teaching of God's Word and even some of the stuff that the band had told me, that day I could not keep from, from tears coming out of my eyes because I was absolutely desperate. See, I thought, well, I'm not a good worshiper if, if I'm down and desperate and discouraged. And what I found was is I worshiped, worshiped that day unlike I ever had because I was in such need. I am telling you that if you are in the midst of a storm, if you are sad, if you are angry, if you are hurt, this is the best place for you to be, not the worst. You don't have to be adoration for me. You don't have to impress me. You don't have to impress the person beside you. Psalm 25 is telling you, be honest about your struggle, but be honest about your standing and be honest about the solution. God wants to teach you his path. I'm going to have the band come up and we're going to we're going to do this